Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. The podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of Australia's pharmacists. Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue. Hi, this is Ali Sue. Welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Hope you all had a wonderful time at APP this year. It was great to finally meet friends and colleagues around Australia face to face. This year, we have heard from many inspirational speakers on issues in the pharmacy industry, both nationally and internationally. Looking forward to implementing what we have learned from the conference to our everyday practice. We are currently in the middle of the National Reconciliation Week. It's from twenty seventh of May to third of June every year. This week is dedicated to mending relationships. Between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and other Australians, it's set up for Australians to learn about the shared histories and achievements, and to allow every Australian to take part in their reconciliation. The theme of this year is more than a word. Reconciliation takes action. To that effect, pharmacists around the nation should take part to take a meaningful step. Whether it's organising an event in your local community, attending one, or starting conversations with friends. Thank you for listening to our last episode, where we had the privilege to learn from Anthony Tassoni, President of Pharmacy Guild of Australia Victorian Branch. Anthony gave us many insights on pharmacy ownership and the future of pharmacy in Australia. Thank you for your great feedback. We're looking forward to bringing you more valuable content to support you building a successful pharmacy career. In this episode, we're joined by another brilliant pharmacist. She is the 2021 PSA Queensland Pharmacist of the Year, pharmacy owner, and the Chief Operational Officer of White Retail and White Medical Group, Bridget Tortman. Bridget shared with us her life from early childhood, early pharmacy career to buying and managing the first pharmacy, and overseeing the management of seven pharmacies and eight medical centers. She grew from a young pharmacist helping to build a Greenfield Pharmacy to partnering with industry power couple Terry and Rhonda White to become pharmacy owner and the COO. At White Retail and White Medical Group today, her generosity, kindness, caring, and down-to-earth nature shine through this podcast. 
Congratulations, Bridget, on receiving this PSA Queensland Pharmacist of the Year award. You're truly a great example for us all. While interviewing Bridget, I was lucky enough to take a tour of the White Retail and White Medical Group headquarters. I met Rhonda White in person. I will share behind-the-scenes photos on the Ravens recruitment social media pages shortly. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, pharmacist being around for many years, or a pharmacy owner, you will definitely find useful and practical advice from listening to Bridget's story to find out how she mixed health with business, combined with her creativity and openness to build her successful pharmacy career. Without further ado. Let's welcome Bridget. Hi, Bridget. Welcome to your Pharmacy Career Podcast. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good, thank you. Well, you were awarded Queensland Pharmacist of the Year 2021 for outstanding leadership and changing management. What an amazing achievement! Congratulations. Oh, thank yeah, thank you very much. It was quite an honour. So, as the CEO of White Retail and White Medical Group, you oversee the management of seven pharmacies and eight medical practices. You're the mastermind behind all these. We are so curious and want to know more. Let's start from the beginning. Where you grew up and what made you decide to do pharmacy? Absolutely. Okay. Grew up. I have four siblings, so I was one of five. I actually had a wonderful childhood, a really great grounding. My parents were very hardworking, very caring, and compassionate. My mum was a nurse by background, and I think, you know, seeing. Being at a part of a big extended family, seeing everyone sort of go to my mum for help, and she showed such care and compassion. That's something that I always, you know, I could probably from an early age thought I would be in the healthcare industry. I just loved the way, you know, the joy she got from helping people and how selfless she was. My father was、um, the managing director of Channel Seven for many, many years, and so he was very business orientated. So I, I actually had a really great mix of seeing business and care. So to me, while I have to admit it probably didn't cross my mind pharmacy until you know after year twelve,、mm. well during year twelve because I was very I love maths I was very good at maths I went to All Hallows School in Brisbane and I I was sort of privileged enough to be sort of exposed to a lot of different subjects I loved art I loved drama but I loved maths and science so I was kind of a bit of a didn't really fit into one little hole and so I guess I considered things like engineering lawyer I considered Physio, so I just and I to be honest, I thought, oh well, I'll I might actually settle on being a teacher, where I thought I could do a bit of everything. And it was my mum who said, oh, have you thought about pharmacy? You know, she, one of her really good friends' son was a pharmacist, and he was loving it. And she said, you know, maybe just start there and then see where it goes. So no one in my family was a pharmacist, so I fell into pharmacy, and I just found my home there very much. So now I actually, no one in my family started off as a pharmacist, but I ended up marrying a pharmacist. My very younger sister ended up doing pharmacy, and she married a pharmacist. So now we have four in the family. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, that's how I guess I um I got to do pharmacy,、mm. and I haven't looked back. I'm sure our listeners are really curious. You know, from a pharmacist background, how did you become the CEO today with both <laughs>、okay. White Retail and White Medical Group? I didn't always work in pharmacy. I worked for a company, Kenny's Cardiology, that sold cards and teddy bears and things like that, and. I loved doing displays, and I loved the business side of things. And even the owner of the business at one stage had me doing the pays and checking tax tables. So I loved the business side of things very much. So from an early age, and then when I went, when I probably second year, I moved to working in pharmacies, and I loved 
thinking, how can I improve this workflow so I can spend more time with the patient? So I would always think, oh, what's a better way that we can do this so I can spend more time with the patients? So always very on, I was always thinking how to mix the health with the business. My intern year, my, my, the preceptor supervisor was great at exposing me to everything from all, all sort of sides of the business, not just counselling, but you know, nursing homes, Webster packs and also workflow. So I had a really great grounding in my intern year, so much so that my first year of being registered, I was able to take on a management position in a greenfield site. So they hired me to, the pharmacy wasn't built yet, so from scratch, deciding category layouts, deciding workflow and what would be the best for our patients and things. So I was involved from a young age straight away in these big decisions and it was I was very lucky because I made a lot of mistakes but where I learned the most yeah. in that year. And I stayed, that was Sol Pattinson Pharmacy in Calumbell and I stayed there while I was, and I just learned something every day, lucky enough to be surrounded by brilliant people and could see how tweaks here and there in workflow and business management meant that I could spend longer with the patients mm. and, and give them my time and, and ultimately end up in, with better health outcomes for them. So that was great. And that was obviously professionally satisfying too, because I could, you know, you could see the impact you could make on the community's health mm. by spending more time with them. So that was great. So from there, I actually had a bit of a, I was, I got married while I was in that job. And when I fell pregnant with my first child, I actually, I resigned, to be honest, I was going to be a stay home mum. I did, everyone's like, you mean maternity leave? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be a, a full-time, it's just something I was very proud of and, and wanted to do. And by this stage, I was married to a pharmacist. Um, so he was, I always knew I'd be able to, you know, keep my hand in, in the industry through, through him. And then had my first son, Finn, and then it would, he would have been six weeks old where I had an opportunity. The local pharmacy was opened 7 to 11, 365 days a year. And they said, oh, would a 4 to 11 shift a couple of days a week help, you know, would you be interested? And I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could manage that. So then before I knew it, you know, I was back into pharmacy and I just was reminded all over again why, how much I love it, you know, just talking to a patient and, you know, they'll talk to you about this rash they have and it's always there and then you can sort of go, oh, have you tried this regime? It looks like eczema to me. How about we do this? How about we have a chat to your GP? And then having them come back and go, oh my God, it's, it's mm -hmm. what I love about pharmacy. It's we bring health to the public. You know, they don't have to come to us and ask us, oh, hey, I've, what's the problem for this? We can go to them and go, oh, have you ever considered this? Have you considered that? I got a lot of professional satisfaction from, from those shifts there early on in, in Cooparoo. I've been able to help patients at, at that nighttime shift. A lot of mums with upset bubs and having my own bub at home, I was able to relate and you know, feel for them and sort of go, you're doing a great job, you know, don't be so hard on yourself, you know. And then that's sometimes that's all they needed, just a bit of a, you know, you're doing a great job. So I started doing that. And then my husband at the time was working at Terry White Care Martin the Maya Centre, which Rhonda White owns. And he said, oh, Terry and Rhonda want me to go on a conference to China and they, they want you to come too. And I was like, oh, okay, well, how are we going to do that with a little baby? He was four months old by that stage. And they said, oh, we'll make it work. So very lucky enough to go to a Terry White National Conference in China. And 
you know, learn all these new innovative ideas that the brand was bringing. And Terry and Rhonda, I remember sitting at dinner um, with them and they said, oh, we want to go into business with you guys one day. And so they gave us our first opportunity to own, we were partnership with them with, uh, in a pharmacy, Terry White at Brookside. So my husband was the managing partner there and I was sort of going to do Thursday nights and Saturdays and, and help out. And from that stage, so we opened that in 2008 where I was pregnant with my second son by then. And so I think sort of setting it up again, you know, we actually moved the pharmacy in that shopping centre and again, thankfully from the experience I had from the first pharmacy, I was able to help a lot in, you know, where's the best place to locate different categories and oh no patients that's that's not private enough let's make sure we have a private area for patients so we a lot of the decision making and rosters and things that you know you sort of learn over time I was able to help with which was really satisfying busy busy but very satisfying so that's what started my relationship I guess with Terry and Rhonda White Mm -hmm. that's where another I guess I get another very steep learning curve and they are so generous with their time and what they're willing to share and teach so we were there it was probably after my third son, then my husband sort of decided that he wanted to do something different. So I took on the managing partner role. So then I went um, back full time managing that pharmacy. By that stage, my sister had graduated from pharmacy. So she, when I sort of had to step in and out, she became the pharmacy manager. She was an amazing help and an amazing leader. And I learned a lot from her and my husband. They're probably two of the pharmacists who taught me so much. We did that at Brookside. And it was probably, no, it would have been around 2014, 2015, where Terry and Rhonda sort of said to me, oh, would you mind helping us with our other pharmacies? So we would have regular, we called them white retail group management meetings, and we would all get together and share ideas. And it started with them asking me to sort of present at some of those meetings. And then they said, would I consider sort of, because I had Loretta, who was my sister, who was managing the pharmacy. And I did have more time. She said, on those couple of days a week, will you come into white retail office and help sort of, you know, oversee the management of our other pharmacies and work with those managing partners? So that was a real privilege to be asked to do that. So it started part-time. So part-time doing those pharmacies and then the other part-time doing Brookside. And it very much, I think it, it sort of grew very, very quickly. I think you get there by just saying, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. Yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. And then it probably did get to the point where we thought, oh, okay, well, this is very much, I love multi-site management. I really love meeting lots of different people and learning from people and helping them in, in their daily tasks. So we did decide to sell our, our business in, that would have been, so Brookside, we would have sold in 2018, I think. And previously, just before that, in my dealings with White Retail Group, I had a couple of other businesses that I was able to purchase that we had great managers in that could sort of run the businesses and then I would oversee the professional oversight of those businesses as well. So very quickly, just by being, I guess, open to new ideas, open to new experiences, sort of built this career path, which I didn't really plan. It just sort of sort of presented itself. And then by me saying, sure, I'll give it a go. So what then became, you know, very pharmacy, I then, when we came to White Retail Group, which was at that stage, we were based in Newstead. We did so. White Retail Group is a is a side company who oversee who provides a service to pharmacies or medical centres in finance, payroll, or IT. 
So I was sort of like an extra arm in that who did operations. And then the natural progression of that is because I was overseeing operations in pharmacy, I was then asked to oversee the operations in the service entity as well. So the IT payroll and finance division of White Retail Group, I became the COO of them as well. So that's where I got to, it wasn't just pharmacy, I got to actually see other industries and hay work and upskill in those areas. And look, it's all people, right? Like it's all working with people and trying to give them the resources they need to do the best job they can do and support them along the way. So I, I grabbed a lot of, you know, a lot of satisfaction out of doing that too, because I was, again, lucky enough to be surrounded by great people who wanted to be their best. So that inspires you to to move on. And then after that came, well, how about the medical centres too? We could oversee them as well. So, of course, again, I sort of thought, oh, well, that's something else I could learn. So that would be really interesting and challenging. So that was medical centres I took on in July, would have been in July last year. So, of course, we were going through COVID. So a lot of very, very steep learning curve again, learning how those practices work and, and the workflows involved there. And obviously, you know, with accreditation and the operations manual and how to run a really ethical, high-performing clinic and dealing with the, the general practitioners who were all wonderful and very accepting and willing to help me along the way, which was great. And so then, yeah, so that's how, so now currently, so I'm the Chief Operating Officer of, of White Retail, White Medical. So yeah, so oversee the office here. So that we, as I said, we provide IT, payroll, finance services to any pharmacy or medical centre who wants to sort of take the administrative burden off the frontline health professionals. And then also we have pharmacy. So each pharmacy has a brilliant pharmacy manager in them and absolutely could not do this job without the high calibre of people that they are. And I support them, um, oversee them and, and, and a resource for them to help and lean on if they need. So, and that's what I'm doing at the moment. I, I do own my own pharmacies and got brilliant people who run them. And again, I think for me, the absolute message I've had is surround yourself with brilliant people and be prepared to work hard. You get back as much as you give. So you had all these opportunities throughout your pharmacy career. How did you get these opportunities? I would have to say... It's just good old-fashioned hard work. I think I was always, I have, and I still do, suffer a lot from imposter syndrome. I, I didn't, I find it hard to think, oh, you know, you don't see the, the value in yourself that other people seem to see. But for me, I just, in anything I did and do now, whether it's being a parent or a sister or a, or a pharmacist or a manager or a business, whatever it is, you just give it your all every every day. Wake up in the morning, just prepared to give everything the best you can do you'll make mistakes absolutely I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm sure I still will but it's just a matter of having the best intentions to do better than you did the day before and I think Rhonda's always said to me because when I have sort of struggled with that and gone oh you know not sure if I should have this opportunity I'm happy to give it a go but am I the right person when you have that doubt she's always said to me you know you don't build a reputation on what you say you're going to do. You build a reputation on what you do every day. By working hard day in, day out, people see that mm-hmm. and they come to you and offer you those opportunities. I've been, you know, lucky enough that people have noticed hard work and it has, it has paid off for me. Wow, that's wonderful. And you surrounded yourself with brilliant people. Yes. How do you find or attract these brilliant <laughs> people? I always feel that, you know, even in roles where I've been asked to teach something, I always learn more than I teach. I think 
if you're open and willing to listen to people and their ideas, one of Terry and Rhonda's philosophies is there's always a better way. And I absolutely believe that. So when I go into anything in life, whether it's if I'm doing a staff meeting at one of the pharmacies or whether I'm doing a doctor's meeting you know, or a training session or if I'm at QUT doing a like guest lecturer type of thing, if you go in open, very open-minded, you might have a certain thought and then someone might come back to me. And if you accept that, that idea that they've said, it might not be right or it might not be the way you see it, but you, you think about it, you ponder it. And I think if you're open to other people, people go, oh, okay, she's not going to shut me down. going to be open. She's going to think about it. And so I think people are tr- like, if you're open to ideas and you want to work hard and you want to always find a better way, those type of people attract each other. I think I'm very lucky that, you know, Terry and Rhonda and in this office here, we'll always be throwing around ideas and there's never a wrong, wrong way or a bad idea. It's always very open, very accepting. And I think I've been lucky enough to attract those type of people because I'm like that myself. I'll give you a go and we'll have a listen and we'll, give, we'll try it. And, you know, it might fail, but oh, well, then we've learned something new. Love it. The <laughs> entrepreneurial mindset. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. From an educator point of view, as well as manager point of view for, for so many years, what do you see today pharmacy students or pharmacy, early career pharmacists are lacking? Hmm. It's a great question. I think I often talk, okay, there's what we learn in the four walls of university and then there's what we want to happen, the ideal, and what we believe should happen. And then there's what really happens. And I think connecting the three better. So we need to take we need to absolutely have the ideal as what we're striving for and mm. best practice. And I think like organisations like the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia and things, setting those guidelines and those best practice, and this is absolutely where we want to be. So then the ability to take the foundations that you learn at uni, know where we want best practice to be, and then see where practice is and the reality of it and then try and every day improve it to reach those you know those standards I think for me understanding the link of those three things is something that will benefit uni students if they're able to get out and work in a pharmacy that's not possible because of you know different obligations if they can at least when they're at at placement really sit in the back filling out your booklet get out there talk to patients talk to other staff and team members talk to the pharmacists learn about, you know, well, no, a patient is never going to say that to you, that, you know, that line, that's not their words. That's not a lay person's words. They're not going to say, oh, can you please tell me what the contraindications of this medicine are? They're not, that's not what a patient's going to say to you. You know, so try and, I guess it's almost, and I don't know how you teach it, (laughs) I feel bad not having a solution for a problem, but a level of emotional intelligence. You can be talking to a patient about a medicine and they can pick up their person is not understanding what you're saying. Try to explain it in a different way. You've got to be able to have the same conversation 50 different ways because different people take in information differently. The skill of being able to read what the person opposite you is taking from what you're saying, are they getting it? Are they confused? Do I need to try a different tact? Maybe I should write this down. You know, that type of gauging where that person's at because for me, the benefit of a pharmacist is our, you know, ability to be able to take complex clinical information and 
explain that in a way that benefits the patient and gives them a better health outcomes. A lot of that, while yes, that's science-based and everything, but a lot of that is emotional intelligence and being able to read the person and the situation in front of you. So I'd love it if, yeah, I'm not sure how, you know, there are a lot smarter people than me who'll be able to work out how to teach emotional intelligence at uni, but I think some people just have it and some people need help with it. And that's okay. You know, we're all different and we all absolutely, you know, learn things along the way. One intern comes to mind who was so clinically brilliant and he did struggle with this, but we worked with him and he was, I just remember we had a flu clinic, it would have been about 2016 or something. And he ran the flu clinic and we did have an issue with, you know, waiting times and his ability to you know, you could see that they were getting frustrated. So going over and chatting to them, I remember being so proud, thinking, wow, how far has he come being able to read if people were getting irritated? So it's absolutely something you can learn. And just again, being open to that idea and realizing that that's needed in pharmacy. We need to have emotional intelligence. Yeah. It's one of our highest skills. Yeah. Mm. A lot of pharmacy students or early career pharmacists are feeling frustrated, feel that they're working really hard. They you know, don't even have any time to rest or see family, especially COVID. And also the pay, they don't feel that they get paid well enough. What are your thoughts? First of all, I absolutely think it's very valid. Like I, um, you know, I've been there. I I remember, you know, dispensing, you know, and it can seem like a relentless, you know, particularly if the lineup of scripts is out the door. and And I know certainly some of our pharmacies during COVID, like while some were really quiet, and particularly the ones in shopping centres, we also had ones where the lineup was out the door and they were so, you know, under a lot of pressure and stress. Everyone seems to be time poor now and so patients want it faster and faster than mm. ever, but we obviously need to do our clinical governance to make sure we're doing everything correct. So I would say, you know, if to early career pharmacists that are in that situation and their first year out, second year out, and they're thinking, oh, I want to do something different now, you know, I have read this before and I thought it's a really good message. Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle. I have had a lot of people go, oh, but she's done this and she's done that. Yeah, but then there was a 15-year dispensing career before that. Try and find little wins in your day. So there are some days where it will all be dispensing scripts, counselling on medicine, and it will be relentless. But try and focus on that one patient that didn't realize that that medicine that was keeping them up at night could be taken in the morning. You've made a, like, that's nothing to us as pharmacists, of course, but you've made a big difference. They now realize they can take it at a time that it doesn't impact them. And it's, they still get the benefit of the medicine without, and the side effects, it doesn't matter that it keeps them awake because you want to be awake during the day. So I think celebrate the little wins along the way because if you just focus on the next script the next script it will be relentless try and find those little wins celebrate that that would be my first bit of advice and then my second bit would be okay all right so what is stopping me from doing anything else is it workflow is it that we are so under pressure to dispense these scripts that is there a better way that we can do things and one of the things Terry and Rhonda did very early on was they all got dispensing robots you know we got wheel conscious machines and some of them had rowers. So, you know, that took that pressure off so we could, the pharmacists up front could spend time, you know, with the patient chatting to them about their medicines. And that gave a lot of professional satisfaction to our pharmacists. If you're in a thing where you think all you're doing is relentless dispensing, you don't have time to do the things that give you professional satisfaction. Try and think of a solution. Is there a workflow issue that you've got? Can you talk to the pharmacy owner or manager about that? 
can you do up a roster? So if you're in a, if you're in a pharmacy that has multiple pharmacists, can one pharmacist be based on the schedule counter for counselling for, you know, conditions and S3 medicines and that breaks up your days. So you're the dispensing pharmacist today, you're the counselling pharmacist today, you're the schedules, you're the aisle pharmacist, you're the professional care pharmacist today. I mean, some people will go, well, that's not possible because the wages don't allow to have that many pharmacists. But if you can prove that it is a viable case, be able to, you know, sell a complete solution to a patient and you can do a business plan that makes that quite viable, then, you know, obviously that can be possible and, and pharmacy owners will, will look at that quite admirably. With regards to remuneration, I agree. I look at the pharmacists, particularly on the front line and during COVID, and they were so good. Every day the doors went up to serve the community. Like I was so, so proud of them. And they worked so hard. They gave their all. What we need to do is get to a point where the role of the pharmacists and what we can absolutely deliver to our the healthcare industry is recognised by government, which I think we're getting better. We need, we've got a long way to go. We make a significant impact in the healthcare area and, and we can make more of an impact. We just need to be able to be given the recognition to do so. And then, of course, the remuneration needs to follow. I think we're moving forward. It's not, we're not standing still. Obviously, um, I was lucky enough to be involved in QPIP. I was one of the first credentialed to be able to, to administer flu vaccines. And then we've got UTIP happening in Queensland at the moment. These things will come. They're not coming fast, but they will come. And I think if we all do our bit and the early career pharmacists are the, really the ones that drive this for us because they've got the passion and they make it happen. We're very lucky in our industry to have such passionate, young, motivated people. So I think focus on those programs that will give us the recognition and remuneration in mm-hmm. the future. Trying to stay positive. I hear you. Keep speaking. Keep shouting. <laughs> and I agree with what they're saying. And I, I think change is coming. I really do. Great. Good to hear. As a pharmacist from pharmacy school to you are now, how did you gain those business skills mm-hmm. sense, financial literacy yeah. over the years? I think by just involving myself. I did go to a, a week course, would have been in 2002 or something, 2003, where I did do a, a pharmacy management week sort of module course, which was an introduction to it. And then I think I just often would ask, and I was very lucky that my early on my pharmacy, that people who owned the pharmacy that I worked in were comfortable sharing that information with me. So I would literally go home and study it and I'd go, well, how does that column get to that column? And I'd do the maths, the difference between margin and markup and the difference between, you know, Jim Roy and, you know, all of these things. I am self-taught in that. I, I guess I didn't do an accounting degree or anything, but there is so many resources out there, but for me, the best way I learn is just looking at it and almost working backwards. So how did it, you get mm. to that figure? Okay, well, you, you know, and so I taught myself P&Ls and budgets and forecasts just by looking at them and learning about it. But then the, the best way to learn is being able to make a difference, like, you know, something silly as in a gondola end. And I would go and I'd go, oh, I wonder this product, this, you know, skin moisturizer, you know, isn't moving or Mm. it's not selling? Is it because the consumer is saying they can't see it or is it because it's too expensive? So let's do a little project. I'll do a yellow ticket and $1 cheaper. And then you do a report at the end of the day and you've sold 10 and the day before you sold zero. Now I'd get a real kick out of that. 
And so I'd go, right, well, I've sold 10 as compared to one, but okay, I've dropped the price by a dollar on each one. So how much have I lost? And then you'd work out and it was a little project that you would just do yourself. And then that's business is that, but on a huge scale. What are the levers you can adjust? What, you know, you've got a plan for what the outcome you want. So you want GP dollars of this amount. And how can you adjust it to be able to get to that, the outcome you want? So for me, it started little with, you know, a little display on the end of a counter bench that when I was an intern, the pharmacy owner let me do. And then I would run the report myself and get super excited over the change I could make just by doing that. And then it, it just grew and grew and grew. And particularly with things that I was really passionate about health-wise. So I myself, I have eczema, asthma, I've got alopecia. So I, you know, I would love things like, like now I'm a, you know, there are some products that really help my eczema. Like, you know, mm. if I moisturize my skin every day in this particular product, I absolutely get less flare-ups. I know about that. It's, you know. And so I would choose something that I was passionate about that I'd put on the end of a counter bench that I would go, hey, I have eczema. This works for me. Put this on every night and morning, Mm. plus the cream that your doctor's prescribed. But if you add this in, it'll help you. And so then you've got the business win because you've Mm. got a sale. But professionally, ethically, I genuinely know that product was going to help that patient. They would then come back because, sure, it worked for them so that they trust you more. Because you're giving advice that you know is going to help them. You know, in the past, some people sort of say, oh, you're a pharmacist, you really shouldn't sell products. But I think they go hand in hand. You know, you can find a way to benefit the patient. And so that's something that I always felt quite proud in, that you could make a difference in someone's day by educating them on a a product that's available. March, we celebrated Women's International Month. What are your advice (laughs) for our female pharmacists and students? Yeah, look. I have been very lucky that I, like I have a father and a brother who have always seen me as their equal. People who have fought that fight for us in the past and are still fighting that fight, I have reaped the benefit of being surrounded by the most wonderful men. If my mum was unwell and couldn't go to a function, she would, he would take me along and always expose me to every opportunity. You know, my brother, would, we would have academic debates often and, and you know, I was his equal, absolutely. And then coming to work, the owner of the first pharmacy I worked for was a, was a male and he, he supported me and encouraged me to do and he's never held me back and certainly now working very closely with Terry White and he's always encouraged me. So I, I guess for me, I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by men who've supported me. Like, and I think part of the celebration of women and, and what we are capable of doing, a lot of the really good men help us for that fight so that I have actually been one of the lucky ones who have been surrounded by really good men. I've got three sons, I've got a wonderful husband and the male-female debate hasn't, you know, affected me personally. Mm. I have seen it affect other women and for them I have seen the the struggle and the fight that they've had to come but this is something that Rhonda has said to me before, you just show up, you Mm. show up you front up no matter what they keep throwing. Mm. You keep sticking to your course. You let your, your you certainly know you have a voice and mm. make yourself be heard. You might not get the outcome you wanted that day, but you front up again the next day with the same voice and the same advice. And then you front up again the next day. And it's persistence and resilience that I think women need to have. I always like to preface this because I do, I do think I need to say that 
I have had the the benefit of the women fighting before me because I, I don't I haven't had to have that fight. I have I can honestly say I haven't walked into a room and ever felt like I wasn't respected. So I know there are a lot of women who haven't had that what I have had. So those women who have had to fight for that, I'm so grateful that they did because I have the life I have because of the battles that have been fought before me. But I know people are still fighting that and I'm grateful that they keep showing up. And for those young, early career pharmacists who, who experience that, if they do, know they have a voice and there will be people that will listen. And if you can't find them, keep searching until you find someone who will listen and help you. Women need to support women. Unfortunately, I have seen evidence of other women trying to bring other women down and that, that's not okay. We need to lift each other up. And so I hope that in my dealings with my pharmacy managers, and I have a lot of brilliant women who run these pharmacies and they're really brilliant, like, mm. you know, they could take on the world brilliant. I just tell them, you know, you've got a voice. You all have a voice. You're all really good at what you do. And absolutely, let's all of us, male, female, let's all just do the best we can, support each other and be kind, you know, just be mm. kind to each other. So, yeah, so I guess, you know, piece of advice is just keep showing up. Don't let them push you down. Keep showing up. In your long pharmacy career <laughs> or journey, what yeah. are some challenges and obstacles that you experienced? What have you learned from these experiences? Okay. The biggest obstacle and, also, and challenge, but also, you know, the most satisfaction is we're all different and accepting that people are different. So me making a statement, even in this podcast, some people will go, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. Some people will go, oh, my goodness, that's so wrong, you know. We're all different. We all have different opinions. We all feel very differently about things. So being able to listen when someone might be saying something that you totally disagree with, like passionately disagree with, but being able to respectfully listen, balance their opinion, and then go, okay, well, why do I feel that way? So one of the things I've always been taught is true genius is if you can, you know, passionately argue both sides of the argument. So really trying so something an obstacle I've felt is with people and if some people have very different opposing values or views to what you do having to balance that and then work with that person to either come to a mutual ground where you can both be comfortable with the direction you're going forward it's a challenge and it's an obstacle at the time but if you can work together to overcome that you generally end up with the best outcome because you've got two different people who see the world differently but you can come to an outcome that you agree on which is generally better than either one by themselves. So I've been able to see a lot of brilliant people do it. And so I guess I've learned it by mimicking. (laughs) What would you do differently if you come to restart your career? Mm. You know, in some of the things that I've actually done really wrong and that I've gone, oh God, that was such a doozy, that mistake. But then that has helped me like two years later when I've been faced with the same thing and I've been able to make a decision really quick because I knew, no, 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 I'm not going to do that again. So I probably wouldn't do anything differently because every bad decision I have made has definitely come to help me later on. Even my placements, I I did a really good mix of placements at uni, so I was really happy about that and that sort of allowed me confidence to talk to different areas. No, I don't think I'd do anything differently. I think that's not saying I did it all right, but I think sometimes in doing it wrong, that's what helps you the most. 
just out of interest, if yeah. you're not a pharmacist today, what, yes. what other career would you choose? Oh, goodness. I was, as I said, I was going to be a teacher. That was something that I was quite passionate about because I had brilliant teachers at school and I thought, oh, I'm going to do that one day. I still look up to those people. I love art and interior design, so maybe something like that. <laughs> yeah, I know, very different, but there are so many things that I, that I think I would be happy doing as long as it involved people. What's your view for pharmacy in the next five to 10 years? I think it will change a lot. I think we are going to see significant change with increasing the roles, which, and I do think that the government will reward that by an increase in remuneration, particularly in community pharmacy, as they become more viable, then the wages will increase. At the moment, the pressures of, you know, landlords with rent, and then they're not being great revenue in these pharmacies with PBS remuneration and settling. That will have to improve because the work that pharmacists do absolutely saves healthcare dollars, absolutely does, Mm. without fail. So I think as that role gets recognised more by government and the remuneration is fixed up, it will attract a um, a higher salary, which it should. Um, So that will change. Well, then that will allow us to increase our scope. So these little things that we can do, I mean, we can already do them. We just need to be able to practice to full scope. If the recognition for those roles in, in remuneration comes to community pharmacy, then we'll be able to, um, to undergo some change that allow it to work better that way. Mm. So there will be a lot of change and we have to be comfortable with change and we have to be comfortable in uncertainty, not knowing what's mm. next, but still just putting one foot in front of the other. In UK, pharmacists are able to prescribe and they start their own clinic mm. and seeing patients. Do you think that's going to come in Australia soon? I think the future will have pharmacists, you know, having the provision to give medicines in certain conditions. Absolutely. What we've got now with the UTIP, the consumer benefits from that by getting early access and convenient access to an antibiotic. So I do think there will absolutely be other models like that coming in the future where we will have a provision to give medicines for certain conditions. What I think we need to do is those conditions need to be thought out very carefully and to make sure it's in everyone's best interests and that the pharmacists are very confident and capable of the medicines that they will be um, giving to the consumer in those clinics. But yeah, I do see there will be more clinics like that in the future, absolutely. And in terms of integrative field, what are your thoughts on that pharmacist role in that area? Absolutely. So yeah, I I do believe there will be roles in that as well. And there even are, I was speaking to at the last um, PSA conference, I was speaking to this wonderful pharmacist who's actually done extra studies in integrative medicine. And she's really passionate about early diagnosis of if you've got deficiencies um, and she can prescribe certain vitamins and things like that to help those conditions. And particularly if, you know, she's able to find that early, you know, the sky's the limit. If pharmacists are interested in in those particular areas of integrative medicine and things, do the study, invest, you know, your time in learning about it. And absolutely, that's just another service we can offer consumers um, that'll benefit their health. So yeah, I can see that happening too. Last question, what advice would you give to pharmacists and pharmacy students, both professionally and personally? Mm, Professionally and personally. Whatever you do, you know, whether it's a placement or going to uni or if you're actually in your first year job, just give it your best. I think, you know, if you, similar to what I said before, earn the reputation by what you do, not what you say you're going to do. So wake up, have the best intentions, do everything to the best of your ability every day and be kind. People will notice. 
traits so that you've got a reputation of being a hard worker and a kind person and willing to learn mm-hmm. and be open to ideas. That would be my advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email, info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.